I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Joining me, as usual, is The Athletic's Manchester United writer, Mr. Laurie Whitwell. Hi, Laurie. How are you doing? I'm good, Carl. You okay? I'm doing very well, thank you. And United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Mr. Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you doing? All right, mate. Nice to talk to you. Nice to be back on. How's Barcelona treating you? It's the weather. It was rainy at the weekend and it's sunnier now. And I'm supposed to be at a festival called Primavera Sound and that's not happening. And this is like my, supposed to be my downtime before the Europeans. And obviously it's totally different for absolutely everybody. But looking forward to seeing football again. Spanish football starts again this week and then next week it's the Premier League. Uh, so great coming up today listener we're going to be talking about the return of Premier League football we're going to talk about Manchester United's brand new left back same as the old prodigy at left back uh, and looking at some gimmicks that Manchester United could be bringing to Old Trafford including piped in noise from FIFA and cardboard cutouts maybe to celebrate the return of football you can now get 30 days free access to The Athletic and read a variety of great articles about Manchester United including Andy Mitten's fantastic piece from his night in Turin in 1999. Laurie, we were explaining what on earth happened to Manchester United's director of football. Uh, if you look through the archives hard enough, you can find out my piece on why Bruno Fernandes takes a hop, skip and a jump when he takes penalties. If you want to take advantage of that 30-day free trial, you can head over to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to read some of the best football journalism on the planet Earth. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod for 30 days free, just before the Premier League comes back. Happy days. As we record this podcast, the Premier League is eight days away from returning. Um, Manchester United are tantalisingly in view. Uh, apparently, they've been playing some friendlies recently. You're the man with all the inside knowledge. What's currently going on with Manchester United's first team? Yeah, I try to be at least. Um, yeah, they played they played one friendly and they, they kept it quite secret because I was sort of pestering them, asking them, are you going to play any friendlies? Are you going to play at Old Trafford, train, you know, get used to the uh, empty stadium? And uh, sort of the word back was, well, you know, we played in, in front of an empty stadium against uh, Lask, so, you know, maybe, maybe not. But clearly they, they did want to get a feel for things at Old Trafford in, in you know, in the... You know, rows and rows, seventy-six thousand empty seats. Um, it's, it's you know a bit different atmosphere for them to kind of get acclimatised to. So um, yeah, they had an intra-club friendly. So you had the Reds versus the Savannas, is the colour I'm reliably told United's away kit is. Um, <laughs> so you had sort of Pogba, Lingard, Matic, Rashford, Williams, Maguire on one team, Bruno, McTominay, Fred, Wambasaka, De Gea, Mata, Marshall on another. Amongst you know various others, went down okay. They sort of got a good bit of fitness work into them. You know, sort of some combinations obviously people will be looking at the fact that it, Bruno and, and Pogba weren't in the same team that's obviously something that they'll explore I think in, in other matches West Brom are, are one team that they might be looking to do a friendly with um, they've certainly talked about having a friendly down there uh, and, and the match was refereed by one of the fitness boys because they're not allowed to have as part of the friendly agreements laid out by the Premier League they're not allowed to have um, officials come in from outside and, and actually um, sort of referee the matches so uh, yeah so it went down like that um, I, I guess they'll have maybe yeah one one maybe two more because obviously Spurs Friday night game June the 19th of um is, is a little bit of time away and, and I think they'll want to try and get as much ma- match sharpness in as possible but they are quite secretive a little bit about what they're going to do in this regard because I think they want to keep any surprises that they might have up their sleeve you know to themselves they've previously had good training blocks when they've had a bit of time so you know in the winter break when they went to Dubai they came back and, and, and went on a really good run and they tried some things out you know, in Marbella as well, um, where they um, 
you know they, they worked on stuff set piece routines and the like and, and that that when they came back that was kind of a surprise to some clubs that they face so I think they want to keep anything they've got planned up their sleeve as I say but certainly they'll have a few more before before Spurs on on the next Friday it's a lot of games Manchester United have to play even when you don't factor in the possible return of the Europa League how are fitness concerns at United at the time? I think they're good, to be honest. You know, you've got Rashford back, you've got Pogba back. Clearly, they, they were the two that this break has allowed United to, to return to full fitness with absolutely no pressure on them to do so in, in, a, in a quick time frame. Um, Pogba last played uh, Boxing Day, Rashford uh, January the 15th, I think it was. So, you know, there's a long time that they haven't been playing football, but you know, the, the, the work that they've been doing, they've been very diligent away from it, you know, to do all the stuff they need to do to get back to sort of full fitness obviously match match sharpness is a different level of fitness so that's something that they still don't quite know I guess um, exactly how that'll work but with the five subs now you know and with the match day squads now being you know 20 um, players that that will allow them you know time to at least you know sub them off you know put them on you know more frequently you know if if they are tiring from whatever reason but I think um, I think United are in a really good position I think Solskjaer spoke about how happy he is with the fact that you've got a group of players that were all doing their stuff away, you know, independently that they were asked to do, you know, the, the none of them have come back looking, um, you know, overweight or anything like that. Like, you know, we, we've seen some pictures where other players have perhaps, you know, raised a few eyebrows with the the uh, the timber they might have been carrying. But United have all come back in really good shape. I spoke to Ollie a few weeks ago, and he said that he feels when the, his team have got time to prepare properly for a match, they're really good. And he gave two examples: PSG away. And Liverpool at home this season. It allows him to go through different ideas, different options, without giving too much away, as, as Laurie said. Although um, Nemanja Matic did score six goals in that friendly match last week, all <laughs> from outside the area. And and just to get used to it, because as you say, it's 74,000 seats. It was 76,000 a couple of years ago, but the capacity has been reduced slightly as they've modified the stadium and expanded the disabled areas. The pitch is absolutely perfect. That's not something you could have said at the end of the season, going back 15, 20 years. And if the players can be used to playing inside an empty old traffic, of course, it's far from ideal, but they will be more assimilated than, say, the Sheffield United players who will come and maybe they'll be daunted by 75,000 seats, whereas the Manchester United players will be more used to it. It's a tricky one. Uh, we've spoke before about the idea of playing behind uh, closed doors. It's probably better than nothing, but I know a lot of diehard Manchester United fans who have not missed a game home and away for years, and they're, they're, they're upset, they're frustrated about it. They know that the situation with the virus has led to this, but that doesn't mean that, that, that they're happy. No one's talking about gathering at the stadium. I think people have been pretty wide of the mark there in assuming that the fans would gather like PSG's Ultras did before their Champions League game against Borussia Dortmund. I don't know anybody, and I know a lot of the hardcore who go everywhere. I don't know anybody who would plan to do that. But it's still frustrating, and one of my mates texted me last week saying, can I have your press pass? Can you know?" That, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling really uneasy about missing matches, he said to me. And, and this is a guy in his mid-50s who's been going to pretty much every game for, for decades. It will be really awkward for them. And I know this is still a tiny number of people, but it'd be really awkward for them to do something they've never done before, which is watch Manchester United on television. 
In terms of building some form of atmosphere, we're seeing some football clubs talk about possibly piping in music from the FIFA games. Some clubs are experimenting with cardboard cutouts. Um, there's been notions of opening up the big screen at some stadiums to allow fans to sort of feed in via Zoom. Laurie, do you know if any sort of plans are going to be brought to Old Trafford at all? Yeah, well, there was a Premier League meeting of uh, shareholders, so your execs, um, last Thursday, and um, I did a piece off the back of that that's on The Athletic where um, a few plans were laid out by the Premier League to the execs. So I think the Premier League wants to have quite a lot of ownership on how the product, um, for want of a better word, looks on TV because clearly they've got broadcasters that they want to at least appease given the massive amount of money that they're going to pay back in rebate to Sky and amongst others. So they want to kind of have a uniformity on that Regard. So um, one thing was fans being potentially allowed to be shown on, on the big screens that, that you know stadiums have um, to kind of create a sort of sense of atmosphere. We've seen that in Denmark where that had sort of mixed success. There's also going to be a, a sort of wraparound uh, sort of netting, I think, at the, the bottom of, of uh, stands so that um, bespoke to each club, so colours and what have you and flags can be put on there. So that kind of creates a little bit of a, an atmosphere, at least um, in, in a certain template. And in, in terms of the uh, sort of crowd noise, that's apparently going to be allowed only on sort of TV. So it's like a red button situation. So rather than it be piped in at the actual stadium, it will be overlaid you know for, for tv viewers so i suppose that kind of protects the integrity a little bit more and obviously at old trafford they don't actually have a big screen that could show you know fans so i suppose that's strike one uh, and then we also had a um an, an article by adam adam leventhal who wrote about cardboard cutouts potentially as you, as you mentioned um we saw that at munch and gladback um again with some dubious faces in the crowd that people had sort of signed up and, and printed off um wolves have actually are going to do a sort of big flag and uh, my colleague Tim Spears says that uh, they're going to vet the, the, the pictures that come through so there's not going to be any sort of mishaps on that front. I'm led to believe, I've, I've sort of asked United this question about um, sort of cardboard cutouts, so that's unlikely uh, for United at present. I think they're sort of happy with the way things will look, you know, re- without those those kind of things. I, I imagine also Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would have an opinion on that and, and I, I guess they're sort of talking on, on those terms. So yeah, that's as far as I can say in terms of what Old Trafford might look like once we all get back to it. Andy, your quick thoughts on this one. Would you rather have cardboard cutouts or, or piped in noise or are you going to be watching your games on, on mute at the moment at home? You know, I'll be honest, I put some of the German football on at the weekend and I've not really enjoyed the German football. And I, I put on a game from Bremen and I heard the, the piped in noise and I my default setting was, I'm going to hate this. And I, I didn't. I've got to be honest, I just didn't. It sounded, <laughs> it sounded better than I expected to. Uh, I'd probably still prefer to hear the cries of players, but that would be weird. I didn't enjoy it at last when that was behind closed doors, but as a television spectacle, and let's be honest, this is where the power is now. This is what's driving this, the money. This is why the players are paid so well. This is television, and they're going to get what they want, whatever the, the best spectacle for television is. And I'm not always comfortable with that as a fan because... It's that television power which leads to games being moved to a Monday night or leads to fans being inconvenienced so that you get ridiculous situations where people can't get back from Crystal Palace away because the game's too late midweek. But in this situation, I understand it. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching Manchester United play against Tottenham. I've missed football and maybe I'm not so bothered about the German football because I don't really care who wins about those teams. But I'm looking forward to seeing how the players do. I'm looking forward to seeing Bruno 
and Paul Pogba combining to see how fit Marcus Rashford is because he's right on it now and he's training well. And the lockdown came at a bad time. I'm, I'm pretty excited about Manchester United right now. But if they lose the next four matches, that optimism will, will go. But I, I'm feeling that Solskjaer's on top of the job rather than the job being on top of him. And that was shown in the results before the lockdown. A fit and firing Marcus Rashford and Paul Pogba about to play against a Jose Mourinho Tottenham Hotspur. I think United will be fine. <laughs> right then, let's go from talking about Old Trafford to talking about one player that should be playing a lot of these games at Old Trafford. It's Mr. Brandon Williams. Uh, Laurie, you had an exclusive last week. You've got a lot of those, haven't you? Uh, about the future of Brandon uh, and how he's possibly going to be offered a brand new deal by Manchester United. Yes, so the, the piece basically was the was the fact that his um, his current salary is is not in in um, relation to where he's at right now because he's accelerated so quickly this season into sort of first team prominence. Really, I, I know he's not necessarily you know your first uh, name on the team sheet every week, but he's certainly done a lot of different jobs for for Solskjaer in, in you know this season. And, and his current salary about four thousand pounds a week is obviously you know way down on what uh, a player in his position usually would be on. Now, United are very um, careful on the um, way that academy players are remunerated. They don't want to give them too much too soon and, and Solskjaer is very much in tune with that philosophy. Um, so you look at the likes of Mason Greenwood whose, whose contract is structured I think in such a way that it, it will inc- increase you know, in time but without giving him you know, absolutely everything from the get-go. Um, this was the situation with, with Williams who signed his latest deal in October uh, when he'd only made two appearances for United, so that was still a good, really good, you know, uh, point in the season for him. But it wasn't, um, you know, it certainly we didn't know for sure how he was going to play beyond that, and, and whether he was going to secure a place in the first team. Since then, obviously, he then became more important to the first team, and you know, talks were uh, United, you know, said we'll, we'll reevaluate it, and it's obviously got to that point now where they 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 probably need to um, you know sort a new deal. There's there's obviously various different issues at play sometimes you know behind the scenes that we're not always privy to, but I think United are you know looking at, at, at sort of sorting that situation out because it's um, you know it's something that you know he, he clearly deserves a, a reward for the, the performances he's been putting in, and, and he clearly will be playing um, sort of good part of the season from now on um, in Solskjaer's team. It's been a great little season for him hasn't it Andy sort of local leg from the academy comes in at left back and and he's not shirking the dirty work for Man United is he? No I I think that Ollie. well I know that Ollie compares him with Gary Neville in terms of his attitude and he's come from East Manchester I think he's from the same part of town as as Nicky Butt and he was absolutely tearing it up for the reserve so United watchers knew about him a long time before he came into the first team. And I spoke to one of the coaches at, at Bruges away back when we were watching football. And he was in the stands with a lot of the younger players. And he said he thought that Brandon could be doing even more than he's doing in the first team. But he, he's very athletic. Uh, he's switched positions. And so left back is not his normal position. And I think it's been good for Luke Shaw because Shaw, while he isn't just a left back and he, he played really well, as a free against Chelsea away, uh, there's been times where, okay, he's had a lot of injuries, but he, he's just looked very average at times and other times he's been player of the season and there hasn't been the level of consistency uh, with his performances at Manchester United. So him having Brandon Williams there is only a good thing. And Brandon, he doesn't want to be on the bench. He wants to be playing. It's just a really nice situation to have that position boxed off and whether that means Brandon playing further forward, whether that means... 
because I know Ollie wants to try a free in some matches, probably against teams who are better than Manchester United. We've seen that already. Let's be realistic. Liverpool are still a far better team than United. But yeah, all good for for Williams. And I know lads from that part of the world who who know him, they know the family, speak of a humble working class family. The parents are both working. I think his mum's got a market store. It's just a good story. And he's a United fan from Manchester. I think that that adds values to, to him. His dream as a kid was to play for Manchester United. So if he does absolutely brilliant, you're not going to get a situation where he thinks, you know, I've always wanted to play for Real Madrid. Manchester United were always a team for him. And if you look at United's greatest teams, they've been full of players uh, who've come through, who wanted to play for Manchester United. That was the ultimate. When players are on the cusp of the first team, you get teams like Juventus with Pogba, who would offer five times what they're getting for the reserves. And... Sometimes an agent might think, I'm going to take that money. And so it's a bit of a tricky one. And I know Juventus, for example, they were looking at Brandon Williams um, 18 months ago and he got offered life-changing amounts of money to go there. And I'm glad that he decided to stay at United. It does require a bit more patience. But let's be honest, Manchester United, one of the biggest and richest clubs in the world, they can afford to pay the top rate. But if you only want money, then your head might be turned then you, I just think you've got to be a little bit of patient. And and the players have been, and they're playing first-team football, which is great to see. Laurie, a bit of a weird question for you here, but the games behind closed doors and just this constant run of games, do you think Oli might be tempted to play a couple more academy kids just to, as a sort of free hit? Good, good question. I don't know if it'd be a free hit necessarily because I, I suppose you know they, they are chasing Chelsea in fourth. We don't know what's going to happen with Man City's case with UEFA in terms of whether fifth is going to be good enough, uh, and then beyond that, you know the FA Cup. Um, I, but I do think that with the fact that you've got increased match day squads of to twenty and and you know the subs to, to five per game that, that that allows scope for for extra you know academy kids coming through. I noticed Ted Mengi, who's a, a young centre back who I've been impressed with when I watched him in the FA Youth Cup, um, has been training with the first team. James James Garner is another one that's been training with the first team, um, you know, the young midfielder who, who's played for England um, age group. So they're obviously looking at that as a, as a potential. Um, and I'm sure if the situation arose where, you know, he could get those those guys sort of some games and if it, if it meant, you know, if it was you know, realistic to do so, then I'm sure he would. Um, and, and I think... I think with, with with Williams, you know, as as Andy's mentioned, the fact that he can play in a couple of positions, you know, he's actually right-footed, you know, switched to left-back, mainly because of Ethan Laird, who's another player I, sh- I should probably mention, um, who was a very good right-back, who is a very good right-back, and he's had a few injury problems this season. So he, he's been training uh, as well at Carrington, and it's just a case of him coming back from his injuries to whether he might be featuring it in some regard. But but that was why Brandon Williams switched to left-back, even though he's right-footed, and the, just the aggression that he runs with and the way that he can cut in actually then became a really um, beneficial thing for his his game is, is for his style. Um, he's obviously played um, left wing back as well. So uh, against Man City, you know the last game at Old Trafford, which clearly is a, a you know quite a, feels a long time ago, and and the, the atmosphere of that game um, is going to be something different to when United play against Sheffield United in, at Old Trafford in, in the next game. Um, at Old Trafford, uh, he he was left wing back and Luke Shaw was the left centre back, and that that worked really well. I think you know they tried it away at Anfield, and it, it, it obviously United lost that day, but that that partnership seemed 
seemed to have something to it and, and we saw against Man City that actually that, that, that could be something that as Andy says against teams that might dominate the ball is a is a good method to sort of try and counter counter that as you say I think there could be quite a few young players coming through and I do think Williams will get plenty of more games to, to come I don't think it's a free hit because this season is still all to play for. This season could end up being a very good one or a very bad one. If Manchester United win the Europa League, I know we're not sure exactly what's going to happen there, but it is looking like it's going to be played in August. If United win the FA Cup, if United finish in the top four or qualify for the Champions League, maybe because Manchester City, uh, their ban- their ban is upheld, it will be considered a successful season, especially where you can see where the season was at the start of December when they'd won four league matches and Liverpool had won 14. So I think he'll, he'll play strongest teams possible. He's got to use his big squad, as Laurie says, because there's so many games. But United are only three points behind Chelsea in fourth. United have got a better goal difference uh, than Chelsea. And all it takes is a couple of wins and suddenly United are into fourth. Okay, third's probably looking a bit too much, but United have not been in the top four all season. Not since the first three or four matches when the league table's all over the place. So that will be another indicator of the progress because let's not forget, United were 14th going into that Liverpool game in October. They were ninth as recently as, as December. And then we had the four defeats in January. So... I think he's got this lovely position and most other clubs have as well where he's got all of his players fit and there's a good size squad there and you've got the luxury of Brandon Williams and Luke Shaw who are able to play in that same position. And for all of these reasons, I think people are really looking forward to seeing what happens. Right then, Andy. I've been tootling around the Athletic website and I found a piece from you about two Manchester United players that were unlikely roommates, uh, Eric Cantor and David May. Yeah, I love stories like that. And often when players retire, they can be a lot more open about what actually went on as opposed to now. You're never going to get a current player talking on the record about what goes on in hotel rooms. Not them suggesting they're up to no good, but they certainly were up to no good uh, a couple of decades ago when football was very different, when players used to room together. And that changed about 2001 and players started getting their own rooms because it was more privacy. Uh, it wasn't a cost issue like it had been at the past in, in the past. But yeah, Cantona and David May. And they're both lying there. And David May decides to ring his brother up and they're watching Coronation Street. And I love the image of Eric Cantona watching Coronation Street. And May rings his brother just to see, you come into the game tomorrow, Pete. Yeah, you're fine for tickets. Yeah, I'm leaving them on the gate for you, etc., etc. And his brother said, who are you with? So he can sense that something's amiss in his own brother's voice. So, and with Eric, Dad, shouts David May's brother. Dad, Dad, he's with the king. He's with the effing king. Cantona hears all of this. May looks at Cantona. Cantona looks at May. Cantona just sort of winks because he's the coolest man ever. And then they just carry on <laughs> rooming together. And some of May's other teammates, as you'll read in the piece, I want to describe Gary Pallister as cool. He was a great defender and he's a lovely fella, but he used to just to sit, lie down there eating a giant bag of Watsits to the point that his, his fingers went. He'd just be on the phone to his partner. In David May's words, Pally would just be fiddling around with his balls for hours. And then at the end of the night, he'd just say, do you want a crisp, Maisie? And he'd say, no, no, I do not. I absolutely do not. But yeah, some of the stuff them lads got up to. And when May was at other clubs, it was just hilarious. They're just schoolboys on a trip away. 
And uh, I love that Eric wanted to live in his mind like an Englishman when he lived in England. And if that meant watching Coronation Street, then he'd watch Coronation Street. And even when Eric moved to Manchester, he actually moved to Salford. He lived in a, a three-bedroom, semi-detached house. He didn't go for the mansion in, in Cheshire. Stuff like that, when fans used to see him turning up in pubs in the city centre, that just endeared him more. And it helped that he was a brilliant player as well, because if he was rubbish, nobody would be talking about him like <laughs> he do now. Have you met Eric? Yeah, I, I once um, I once drove to Marseille to interview him, and I had to deliver some bad news to him that uh, the, the former kitman, uh, Norman Davis, the man who escorted him off the pitch at Sellers Park, had passed away the, the day before. And maybe I shouldn't have told him that because he was really upset and cancelled the interview, which meant I had to stay in Marseille for another 24 hours. Uh, but then he was he was really good. And yeah, I've done quite a few things with him. I don't know him like I know um, some of the other players, but he is friends with some fans. He's good friends with Pete Boyle, one of the lads who starts a lot of the songs off inside the ground and I saw him in Lisbon in November he now lives in Lisbon uh, Madonna has been living in Lisbon lots of cool people seem to live in Lisbon for various reasons I just remember him as uh, the man who was that final piece in the jigsaw which took United from being a side which didn't win the league to one which won the league and one who he got the better of Ferguson because Ferguson was a disciplinarian and all the players were scared of him they were scared of him and yet Eric could get away with absolutely anything. And that included turning up in a red jacket and trainers um, for dinners, such as the retirement do of the aforementioned kit man. And Fergie, Fergie just laughing at him. And the other players saying, if I turned up in trainers and a red jacket, uh, I'd be fine two weeks wages. So there's so many Cantonar stories. And it was nice to speak to David May and for him to tell us in some depth what it was like to actually room with him because... A lot of people have played football with Eric Cantona, but not many have laid down on a bed next to him and watched Coronation Street with him. I'm not a man. I am Cantona. Right now on the, on the Athletic, you can check out a fantastic interview from my colleague Adam Crafton, who has interviewed Ander Herrera about everything, really. Just talking about his time at Manchester United, his experiences with Louis van Gaal, Marcelo Bielsa, and Bilbao, and... Uh, Jose Mourinho and why it didn't quite click there and also why he went to Paris Saint-Germain it's a fascinating interview Laurie what was your sort of experiences with Ander Herrera when it was at Manchester United well I, I guess just you know from afar a really because um, at the time I was sort of covering um, you know the Midlands clubs for the Daily Mail so I wasn't you know involved with United in that sense but I just you know would always remember the fact that he would seem to give a lot for the team every single time you know so he would be the one that you know you could rely upon for being that sort of nasty kind of edge to him which I don't I don't know if he really had an athletic will but I don't know if Andy probably knows a lot better than me on, on that front but he was more of a an attacking midfielder whereas when he came to United I think they sort of reformed him a little bit more into as Adam puts it a regimented midfielder perhaps and then obviously under Jose he was um, you know a bit of an attack dog really and I loved the the line from Ander Herrera about when he was marking Eden Hazard and he he raves about Hazard he, he says how much of a player he was and puts him up there with sort of Ronaldo and Messi just just 
behind those two in, in that bracket of, of world's best players and how he would man mark him all the way to the toilet if, if he had to um, which I just thought was that's the kind of <laughs> character you want in your Manchester United team right you want a guy that will um, commit to the cause and, and, and you know perhaps sacrifice some of his attacking instincts to, to do a job that would, would benefit the team and clearly if you can nullify Eden Hazard you've got a better chance of winning a football match obviously that went a bit too far in one of the games where he got sent off for two bookable offences inside you know the first half and it was clearly a, a rotational foul system that United were trying to employ and, and, and Herrera I suppose you know got caught out by doing it twice you know in quick succession so I, I guess um, that's kind of the main sort of memories that I have of him obviously scored sort of good goals for United as well um, at crucial times um, that Adam touches upon in his interview and I think it's quite sad the way that he left because clearly there was some sort of sourness to it um, I think he felt that United weren't quick enough with offering him a contract and as I sort of mentioned in the Glazers piece that I've done that isn't that, that's sort of a strategy that ha- is employed on a few uh, factors not just player contracts but also sort of transfers and even commercial deals where they will you know happily kind of wait till later on in 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 sort of certain uh, situations to actually press the button on on things so and, and in Herrera's case that meant that he was a bit put out, I guess um I think United would say that, that they did offer him a deal um sort of before that but clearly there's there's some kind of issue there that, that he ended up leaving because of um but listen he's on a, a very good contract at PSG I'm sure he's not too uh, dissatisfied but I, I think he, 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 the warmth that he had for United certainly came across and I think he's a pretty good guy by all accounts and I knew him, I knew him in Spain. I went to I watched him for Zaragoza. I went to see him in Bilbao and spent two hours having lunch with him uh before he joined United and was just struck by his passion, his understanding of fan culture. He st- stood on the terraces with Zaragoza fans. He, his screensaver on his phone was one of a packed at Gladys Street end at Goodison Park. He he was enraptured by uh, and enthralled by by English football, and then he he moved to Manchester. On the day he was going to move, um, I spoke to 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 him and um, and to his agents, and basically said it's done. And then it didn't go through, and it's just this bizarre day where we saw the lawyers turning up in Madrid, and there being two versions of the truth. And then three months later, United played in the Basque Country against Real Sociedad, and. United knew that I'd been to Siander and they were giving me messages like send Edward would would say send him uh, our regards how's he doing and then MUTV got me on uh, to talk about Ander Herrera so there was definitely still interest which the club were not gonna deny publicly and then he came to United and he did well uh, the interview was really good with Adam it was always a good interview uh I'm not going to say that he was a complete hero because there's a few versions of the truth here. Uh, why did he leave? Well, United think that his demands were extortionate. I'm not even convinced Ander Herrera knows what demands his agent were putting on the club. So I'm not going to come out here and say uh, that Ander was hard done to. Now, what United's position was on, on Herrera was he didn't actually start that many matches. So were they getting value for money? Last season, Ander started 16 league matches. Paul Pogba started 34 league matches. Luke Shaw started 29 league matches. And the club felt that uh, with his age, with his body shape, because he was quite slight, he wasn't going to become an increasing force in the team. And then you had a position where the two camps became entrenched 
one accusing the other of being greedy, the other one, it, it, it was perceived slights. It was a lack of respect. And Ander went for the money to PSG. Does he regret that? In some respects, absolutely. He's not playing all the time for PSG. La Ligue, Ligue 1, as Raphael will tell you, is not the same as the Premier League. I think history will remember Ander broadly well at Old Trafford, uh, but it could have been so much better, as Laurie says, and there was some acrimony in the end. And it'll be one of them where it's a few years and he comes back and everything will be fine. And he also played in quite a bumpy time for, for Manchester United. But would fans have him back now? If you've given a choice now, would you like Ander Herrera back? I'm not convinced that a lot of fans would say yes. I think the team team has moved on. And he enjoyed his time in England. But he was, he was a great talker and that comes across in the interview. It's worth reading. Some sad news now on this podcast from Old Trafford. Uh, Manchester United's European Cup winning fullback Tony Dunn has died age 78. Um, Andy... You are normally our historical expert here. He's part of the side that took apart Benfica in the European Cup. Yeah, uh, Tony Dunn was... I've had loads of messages uh, this this morning from people in Manchester who not only knew him as a player, but as the guy who ran the golf range in Timpley and, and Altrincham. And people knew him really, really well. He, he played over 500 times for Manchester United. He's actually eighth in the club's all-time top appearance makers. He played 530 five games and when I heard about his his death I put a little tweet out uh, and it's a quote from Paddy Crerand which he gave me and he said Tony Dunmore eight fullback one of the most underrated players in England he was quick as lightning and strong in the air for a small fella a quiet Dubliner he played over 500 games for United not bad for someone initially signed as cover what I didn't have room for in that tweet was Paddy's description of him as, as a player a further description where he said he basically would get the ball and give it to someone better than him, like me or Bobby, which I really liked. Uh, but anyone who plays 535 matches for Manchester United, I mean, Wayne Rooney played 5-5-9. It's in that league of appearances, but extremely steady fullback. And it's very sad to see another member of the, the first English team to win the European Cup pass away. But I think his community in Manchester, remember a really nice guy. It wasn't a guy who did a lot of media. He really wasn't. He's probably the only player from that team who I've not interviewed, for example. And he, he shied away from it. Everyone, one of my mates went round to his house for a cup of tea last year. And he wasn't in the best of health. Uh, he'd had a stroke a couple of years ago. And he was frustrated because he was brushing the leaves up outside his house. And part of his, one side of his body wasn't, wasn't working. And he was a proud man. But yeah, incredible. And it's very sad to hear that he's passed away. Tony Dunn, part of a large contingent of Irish players who've played for Manchester United down the years. For a part time, there was always one in the United side. Yeah, the, the history of United's Irishmen is an extremely rich one, both players from Northern Ireland and from the Republic of Ireland. And that's all changed. Demographics, global scouting has changed that. I think the entire population of the island of Ireland is about 5 million. So if you're comparing that to Brazil with 200 million, or Argentina with 50 million, and United are actively scouting in these places now, then it's going to take an exceptional talent to come through. And you could look at cities uh, like Dublin, which produced uh, Tony Dunn and lots of other players, even Cork, the second city of the Republic of Ireland. Look at the players who came out of there. Noel Cantwell, Roy Keane, Dennis Irwin, Frank O'Farrell, who was a manager. That's out of one city the size of Preston, basically. 
So there's a, a, a really rich history. It's one of the reasons why Manchester United have got a massive, massive support in Ireland, north and south. And it's a shame that inevitably the numbers of talents coming through, while well, United are still going to scout over there, you're just not going to get players moving from Shelbourne uh, or Bohemians like Jerry Daly did, like Tony Dunn did, from playing uh, Gaelic football uh, like Kevin Moran did. Uh, Paul McGrath came over as well. It's just very unlikely, given the way football development now takes place, that you're going to get the same number. But I'm sure there'll be future Irish heroes playing for Manchester United. You could argue that the club's greatest ever player, uh, George Best, he was an Irishman. He, he obviously came from Belfast. That's another city which produced top players. Johnny Evans came from there. Sammy McElroy came from there. Harry Gregg, who passed away recently, he he died in, in Coleraine. So United's Irish history is an extremely rich one. Laurie, any potential Irish superstars in the academy right now? Well, there's um, Deji Satona, who is a young forward, about 17, um, and he comes from Waterford. Um, he came across when he was uh, about three years ago. So he's he's one that's um, you know fairly well thought of. He scored against Wigan in the FA Youth Cup, the winner, really nicely taken goal. Um, and afterwards, he's got a lovely you know Irish accent. You know, the, the, I mean, I love the Irish accent. So I was kind of anything he was saying, I was I was uh, listening to. But um, he's quite a shy lad. But listen, we'll we'll see. 17, you never know how these things progress. Um, and as Andy said, you know it's got to, got to be a special talent, really, haven't you, to sort of fight your way through? Because it, it is such a small pool, really, in considering what else there is in the world and, and where else United are looking. Um, so, uh, you know, let's let's see how it develops. Before we wrap up, let's go into our reader mailbag. We've had quite a few asking about Donny Van der Beek, who's been linked with Manchester United in the last couple of days. The Ajax midfielder is highly rated by those in European football. Laurie, do you know if there's any chance he could be coming to United anytime soon? Well, um, when the uh, reports sort of started in January about Van der Beek, um, the sort of word from United was kind of you know let's let's leave that where it is. It wasn't um, one that was a priority in January, and obviously as we saw, Bruno Fernandes came in instead, uh, and they also talked with Kai Havertz at the time. But a hundred million euro was the price tag for him, so they kind of left that one there. But um, Van der Beek, clearly a talented player, clearly someone United are watching. I wouldn't you know rule it out necessarily, but I think the. I don't know personally. I would I would see Jack Grealish, you know, and, and maybe Havertz as as more likely arrivals. I think Van der Sar's been on record, hasn't he, um, in the last couple of days, as saying that United and Real Madrid are interested. And you know, is that the words of somebody who wants some kind of bidding war? I don't know. That's a question we can we can <laughs> we can ask, I suppose, um, because the Real Madrid thing looked like it was done with Van der Beek, but um, with the financial situation there, you know, it looks maybe that's in, in doubt. And and you know, would United's interest actually then mean that you know that that deal could get reprised if there is any doubt over it so I don't know I listen I might might be wrong but I would I would probably put my eggs in in a different basket at the moment uh, elsewhere Lucas Hawkins at Lucas Hawkins 123 thank you for tweeting us wants to know um does Solskjaer want to keep Martial as a center forward next season or is this a, a position he wants to improve upon Obviously, there's been links between Man United and Timo Werner who's now been announced as going to Chelsea so um could United be in the market for another big name striker. Team of Werner definitely they were um interested in um talks. I think uh, my colleague David Ornstein with a really interesting piece uh, and Liam Twomey have, have talked about um Solskjaer um having some kind of talks with Team of Werner, which is fine. You know, Klopp had talks with him because the the fact they had a release clause, it basically means that, you know, 
is available for transfer as long as the club's activated. So I don't think there's anything wrong with the prospective clubs having talks with with him or his agents. You know, uh, as as much as RB Leipzig would you know agree to it. So, um, but yeah, the money that he would cost in transfer fee um, plus the wages that he was asking for, which were uh, very significant wages, would not. It didn't really align with what United needed because, as you say, they've got Odin Agarlo on a short-term sort of deal. Um, they've got Anthony Marshall, who's made improvements this season. I think they still feel like they could get even more out of. Marcus Rashford's shown he is that kind of talismanic striker that United need, and I think he can certainly score in excess of 20 goals a season. And um, they've got Mason Greenwood, who's shown that this season he, he is the real deal. So give him space to grow into you know, allow him that time to develop into the end of this season and, and next season. I think we could have a real exciting prospect on our hands. So I don't think they wanted to bring in a striker that would demand uh, a starting place with his transfer fee, with his wages. Um, now, you know, we'll, we'll see in time. Uh, Moussa Dembele is another name that I think they have been looking at. But again, Leon would would would, long, would like a lot of money for him. Um, Erling Haaland, we've clearly spoken about before, and I don't think United would ever discount the opportunity to sign him, given his his age and he's only going to get better so um but at the moment I would I would probably say that their priorities are elsewhere you're looking at Jaden Sancho on the right wing I know it's a you know one we keep <laughs> talking about a lot a lot but um that is as far as I'm aware that the place where United would would like to direct most of their money so that's where I'd be looking at and your quick thoughts on this do you think Manchester United strike striking assortment is a Champions League quality at the moment I think Igalo staying is a good thing. Uh, Greenwood has been fantastic in his progression and he's been given game time, um, which is fortunate for him, but also justifies his talent. He's going to get more time. Uh, Sancho is the, the the player who United most want. Bruno Fernandes' transfer came out of the summer budget for, for this year. I don't think you're going to be seeing Manchester United spending £200 million on transfers this year, especially if Paul Pogba... Uh, stays at the club. Uh, Rashford uh, has, has scored a lot more goals and I see his role more as, as a central one, although I know he likes playing on the left as well. And if him and Anthony can interchange, it's another uh, angle for, for Manchester United to go for. So I'm feeling all right about it. I don't think that United's priority is an out-and-out striker, even though they'd spoken to Haaland uh, over Christmas and they've sounded out other, others. And they have their, 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 their A target, their B target and the C target. And I think Sancho is, is their A target and some of the others mentioned will happen if Sancho doesn't come off. Um, so that's where I think we're at with the transfers at the moment. All right. Then. One final question from Buzzing Paul on Twitter. I'd value the opinions on the order of our penalty takers when football returns. Surely we can't share duties across Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba. So that's four players there, all with very distinct penalty taking techniques. Obviously, Bruno was the leading man before football uh, underwent a a short pause. Laurie, do you have any idea who's going to be the senior penalty taker when football comes back? Uh, yes, yeah, so it's quite a collection, isn't it, there for the four of them. Um, I would say that Marcus Rashford deserves um, to be the penalty taker. Obviously, he was injured when Bruno uh, came in and, and took penalties with a plum, it has to say. Um, but I think Rashford had got into a good groove with them. And just as the striker, I think you'd always want your striker to be scoring goals. So a penalty, you know, if, if he's maybe not scored for a couple of games, would help him get back in that in that 
fashion and, and you know it could always just boost a bit of confidence can't it um, and I know that Jamie Vardy for example when he was at Leicester Riyad Mahrez was taking the penalties and they you know some people always thought well, actually Vardy really should be taking them and, and ultimately he did and, and that really helped keep him going on, on certain runs so I think in, in that case I, that's where I'd, I'd, I'd say the, you know, the play uh, penalties should go although Bruno as we've seen took him with extreme calm and confidence and, and, and listen I would love to see him take more with, with that hop skip and a jump Andy your thoughts on this quickly who would be your Manchester United penalty taker Rashford to start out and if it's not working Bruno 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 whoever's scoring <laughs> him because we don't want the issue that we had at the start of the season where it became a new story for Manchester United missing penalties Pogba will have another chance again but he's got to be scoring him you can't be missing from 12 yards out and I say that as someone who's a relative of a man who scored was Manchester United's record penalty taker for many <laughs> many years and said there is no excuse for missing from 12 yards out. And he even scored three penalties in one game against Aston Villa away in 1950. Not that I can take him myself, but he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Talk of Devils podcast. That's a Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. I want to say thank you to Laurie. Cheers, Carl. And thank you to Andy. Thanks, Carl. And uh, thank you, listener, for joining us. We'll see you next week. This is Talk of the Devils, brought to you by The Athletic.